to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashin. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm joined by Eric Fussfield, our Director of Legislative Affairs and the Deputy Director of the B'nai B'rith International Center for Human Rights and Public Policy. Today, we'll be talking about the devastating mass shooting on Saturday that killed 11 people at the Tree of Life Synagogue in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood of Pittsburgh. As prosecutors press charges against the gunman, we'll be talking about hate crimes and the rise in anti-Semitism. This shooting was the deadliest attack on American Jews in the history of the United States. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. We're uh, in the midst now of really of grieving, mourning, a number of vigils uh, are taking place all over the country. Uh, we've been receiving here at B'nai B'rith messages of solidarity and, and support and comfort from our international network and from public officials and uh, some diplomats have also been in touch with us. So that's the, the period that we're in right now. Um, but I'd like to look ahead, if we could, uh, to what follows this. Uh, the history of, of hate crimes in America is, is a long one. Um, this particular incident, is, as I've said, is the worst against the Jewish community in, in our history. Uh, but there's a, a long history of hate crimes and, and anti-Semitism that goes back, of course, uh, many, many years. If you had to say one thing about what the next step should be, what would, what would that be? Well, the first step would be the prosecution of this individual. And he could be prosecuted under a law that uh, B'nai B'rith and other civil rights organizations fought for for many years and was finally passed and signed into law in 2009. That's the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act. And among other things, uh, one thing that this law does is it makes it a federal crime to willfully cause bodily injury or attempt to do so using a dangerous weapon because of the victim's uh, race, color, religion, or national origin. So if the Justice Department wants to, they can prosecute the perpetrator in this case under that law, and this would bring about enhanced penalties uh, and uh, there may be um, additional aspects that will come into play, like the uh, federal authorities can uh, uh, bring uh, additional tools, additional resources to the investigation of this crime. And uh, so that the, so the, the law enforcement aspect is the first order of business. But beyond that, we have a lot of work to do in uh, educating the public about anti-Semitism, in mobilizing the public to combat anti-Semitism. This is the latest anti-Semitic hate crime, but it is a profound illustration of the depth of the problem. Now, it, one could say anti-Semitism really is the oldest form of hatred. Um, B'nai worked on the Convention on Racism and discrimination in the Organization of American States, which we're accredited. And our role in that discussion, with a number of other um, uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, and other civil society organizations, 
was to get the word anti-Semitism into the convention because anti-Semitism is a, is a very specific form of, of hatred. Um, how then going forward after Pittsburgh um, do we work in that, that important element into any discussion of hate crimes that you talk about educating the public? Um, public officials have a tremendous obligation to use the bully pulpit to stand up and speak out. But how, how do we now inform the public, really, about what anti-Semitism really is beyond just the word, and there's some vague understanding by some people and some very uh, in-depth understanding by some people, but how can we now, in effect, mainstream understanding of exactly what it is uh, and why it's so abhorrent? Anti-Semitism is a unique and uniquely resilient social phenomenon. It's the oldest social hatred. It's always been there. And uh, it exists in, th over time in different permutations and, and different manifestations, but it's still very much with us today. And in a way, as appalling and as shocking as this tragedy in Pittsburgh was, we can't be too surprised by it because it was um, an illustration of how anti-Semitism has taken hold on the far right. We saw signs of this after the um, white supremacist rally in Charlottesville last year, where these people were nominally uh, marching uh, in opposition to the removal of Confederate statues. And what was their mantra as they, uh, as they marched uh, in, uh, for this cause? Jews will not replace us. That was a wake-up call to our community and, and to the world that anti-Semitism is the, the point of entry. It's the doorway into other forms of hatred. Why anti-Semitism? Because Jews are um, popular subjects of conspiracy theories. It is, we are often accused or credited, depending on your perspective, of controlling key institutions, of being able to pull the levers in society in such a way that we can open the door for new social developments that the far right finds very threatening. For example, immigration is one, rights of women are another, um, is civil rights for African Americans and other minorities. Uh, these things are perceived as threatening by the far right. They're perceived as a loss of the, uh, the position of the white race, and Jews are held culpable for these developments. But these, these conspiracy theories have been out there for hundreds of years, or, or at least in its modern, if, if you want to take it from the protocols of the elders of Zion, if you want to take it from the beginning of the 20th century. So they've been out there. But don't you think that the internet and social media, as we've looked, for example, in this particular individual who was arrested in the, these horrific uh, killings, um, where these means were not available in the past, there now is an instantaneous mechanism to either trumpet these thoughts, these ideas, these horrific statements about Jews and about others, of course, um, and also to get 
kind of an echo chamber and get it back from others who share the same views. So if, if we've reached kind of a new level in terms of the trafficking in anti-Semitism, um, how do we deal with that issue? Because, I mean, I, I, you and I, all of us, uh, we go um, not necessarily to those websites, but you can just go to mainstream websites, news websites, and look at some of the comments that are made, and, and, and some of them are, are extremely frightening. How would you deal with that? Well, th there's no question that uh, the Internet, social media are a breeding ground for uh, anti-Semitic and other hateful attitudes. And it helps proliferate uh, those messages of hatred. And, and it normalizes uh, hatred in, in various ways. So there needs to be, because the internet is a, a, an industry that is largely based in the United States and the First Amendment to the Constitution is the law of the land here, we don't, um, as a matter of course, outlaw forms of speech, even speech that we find um, especially repugnant. But what we do do is rely on um, important actors in our society, be they public officials, be they industry leaders, celebrities, so forth, to help uh, stigmatize and marginalize hate speech. In the case of the internet, the major players uh, such as Google and Yahoo and and others uh, have uh, a place to play in saying, we're not gonna allow our platforms to be used to purvey hatred. And we've already seen an example of this when uh, the website um, on which, uh, uh, gab.com, on which the perpetrator in this crime um, uh, espoused his views, um, has already been shut down. And it's been shut down by several um, internet service providers, by uh, App Store, and by several payment processors. So they've already taken um, action on this. And they've said, you know what, we're not going to participate in the dissemination of this kind of hate speech. So that's one tack to take with respect to the internet. But the, the internet service providers really have a wide berth here, right? These are private companies. Uh, they are not, they're not obligated to allow every point of view, to allow every utterance that comes. I mean, isn't that what the Jewish organizations and, and other organizations are saying to these companies, that, that you have a much wider berth than you, than you admit to? Yes, the, the First Amendment is the law of the land. It's not the law of the Internet. It's not the law of the New York Times. It's not the law of Columbia University. Um, these are all actors in society, different sectors of American life, who have, um, who can take responsibility for the influential role that they play in their ability to curb hate speech by saying we're not going to allow our institution or our platform to be used um, to uh, purvey hatred. Let's talk about education. Extremely important. I believe that every citizen in one way or another can educate, that we have friends, we have colleagues, uh, we belong to church groups, we belong to, to secular groups. Um, we're, we're, a, we're a society, and it's a society is made up of, of a lot of different people, and every one of the 320 million Americans, more or less, can play a role in educating their neighbor about issues 
concerning anti-Semitism or racism or intolerance. I mean, one example, as a B'nai B'rith example, would be our Diverse Minds Writing Challenge program, which is a program for public schools uh, where there is a contest uh, in the schools and uh, older children, high school juniors or seniors, are encouraged to write a book uh, and illustrate a book for younger children um, about mutual respect and about tolerance and about diversity. Um, we've had uh, a number of winners around the country and they get scholarships and their books have been published. And these are amazing books that have been written by 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds um, about uh, bringing about uh, a society where we do have mutual respect. Clearly more needs to be done um, at the university level and the, in the public school level, the private school level, and everywhere else in civil society. Where do, where do you think we should turn to um, to um, encourage uh, those who have not yet joined this battle to do so? Well, it's a battle where many have a role to play. This includes educators. This includes public officials. This includes uh, journalists. Um, every, everyone has a role to play in learning more themselves, internalizing those lessons, and spreading the message of tolerance and also the notion that um, hatred is dangerous because it can lead to devastating consequences like it did in Pittsburgh. One of our preferred action items in B'nai B'rith is the dissemination of a working definition of anti-Semitism, uh, the likes of which was adopted by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, or IRA, as it's known, in 2016. And this is a comprehensive definition of the problem that um, illustrates some of its modern manifestations, uh, a number of which have to do with hatred of Israel, um, uh, criticism of Israel that pa passes the point of legitimate political discourse and and, uh, and and verges into the territory of raw anti-Semitism, often by adopting traditional anti-Semitic tropes. And so uh, increasing uh, understanding of the problem is, is one way to begin the, the, the business of educating the public. Uh, beyond that, there are some legislative uh, remedies that could be adopted. Uh, B'nai B'rith has supported legislation on Capitol Hill known as the Anti-Semitism Awareness Act, which would allow educators to uh, take into account working definitions of anti-Semitism, encourage them to do so, in assessing whether anti-Semitic hatred has taken place on their university campus, and uh, this will help them uh, diagnose the problem and, and uh, figure out how to deal with it. Yeah, well, Holocaust education, um, many people point to Holocaust education in the schools, particularly um, in, in high schools. Um, visits to Holocaust museums, not only our, our big museum here in Washington, but there are a number of other museums around the country. Um, uh, invitations to Holocaust survivors to come into the classroom. Now, this is this is one and, and very very important, maybe the most important aspect in terms of understanding 
what the Jewish people have experienced, but there are there are other elements that need to to go into that mix. But uh, it seems to me that more of what is being done um, it needs needs to be encouraged. And this this moment, we have to take this moment of this tragedy in Pittsburgh uh, to uh, to enlighten, uh, to encourage uh, others to engage in in these kinds of of educational programs. Eric, I want to pick up on the question about civil discourse, where we're talking about public officials, particularly the obligation of public officials from top to bottom uh, to use the bully pulpit and other means to not only address anti-Semitism, racism, but in the discussion about a whole range of issues uh, that uh, are on the, the plate or on the agenda of the American people to, to not only to tone it down, but to be more respectful because then it, you know, otherwise it, it, there's a cues are taken by folks and then they're, they're off and running. Um, in the case of, of this particular shooter, as an example, picked up on the immigration issue. But this is, this is a, a, an individual who at the same time came to this immigration issue already with hate in his mind, I mean, he says, we're told, he says in one of his social media posts uh, that uh, Jews are, the, are the, the, the children of the devil. So what is, what's the role? How do we get civil discourse back on track here? Um, it seems that we need a, a reboot of the, of the entire process before it gets out of hand. Well, Episodes like Pittsburgh um, can serve as a gut check for our society when um, the rhetoric in our public debates has become so heated and so divisive that it leads to devastating consequences. Sometimes we need to stop ourselves and uh, realize what has happened and reflect on it. And this is one of those moments. And public officials from the president on down, this is uh, it, it, it's 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 not just about one person. There are candidates for Congress uh, who engage in public debates over divisive issues and and um, other figures at every level. Um, we we need to tone down the rhetoric, and uh, th this is this is particularly case in divisive issues like immigration and refugee asylum because uh, we saw that this was one of the issues that animated the shooter in Pittsburgh. Uh, he is uh, against immigration. Uh, he's against uh, America absorbing refugees. He faulted uh, Hias, the Jewish uh, immigration organization, for encouraging refugee asylum. And uh, so he took his uh, animus out on on uh, Jewish targets, and um, so w we we need to have a um, a public discourse that um, is free of accusations against those who uh, and and vilification of those who we disagree with. We should be able to have a rational discussion about our national immigration policy. In fact, we need a rational discussion about our immigration policy. Immigration has been used as a wedge issue in American politics, and uh, we need to turn it into something other than that. 
we, we, we've discovered in the days, just the uh, several days since the Pittsburgh shooting, that there are more people of goodwill than bad will in, in our society. We've seen this in the outpouring of support, support for from other faith communities and and neighbor, neighbors of uh, Jewish residents of Pittsburgh, people across the spectrum. Um, it, it really is a situation where people of goodwill need to come together and say, we're not going to tolerate this kind of hatred in our midst. It's, it's a, we, unfortunately, we don't have any Abraham Lincolns in our society today, but to, to, to follow to um, follow his lead, we need to summon the better angels of our nature and understand that we're all stakeholders in the society and come together in favor of a common good. Well, Pittsburgh, uh, as we've said, really is a, is a wake-up call, and it's going to be the, uh, the canary in the mine uh, writ large uh, going forward uh, to see if, uh, if we can uh, uh, be uh, our better selves uh, going forward in fighting anti-Semitism and racism and in our, in our public discourse. You've been, if I can just switch the scene a little bit to Europe for a second, because you've been deeply involved with Ruben A. Brith in combating this tremendous spike in anti-Semitism in Europe over the past couple of decades. Um, there have been attacks uh, in France and other countries that we've read about, um, not unlike um, what we've uh, just witnessed here in, in Pittsburgh, and there have been a whole range of, of other acts of, of anti-Semitism. What kind of scorecard would you give the European countries uh, as, as they um, either confront or, or should be confronting um, anti-Semitism in their midst? It's a mixed record, to be sure, which is not to say that uh, we haven't made progress over the years. When this problem first started um, emerging in a serious way in the early 2000s, a lot of uh, European officials were quick to dismiss it as just a, a blip on the screen, a temporary reaction to heated events in the Middle East. and. And over time, we convinced them that the problem was more serious and more persistent than that. And since then, uh, a number of governments have taken action, either on their own or through the European Union or through the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the OSCE, um, which has done a lot of work to combat anti-Semitism and other forms of intolerance. But uh, clearly, there's still a long way to go. I, I mean, the, the progress has been made, but must continue to be made in areas such as passing hate crimes laws. Uh, we, we have them here in the United States. Not every country in, in Europe has them. Um, improved uh, law enforcement methods and training, um, monitoring hate crimes and uh, collecting data is very important. And some countries do a better job of that than others do. So, and, and of course, education and tolerance building. These are all areas that um, governments need to be working on and, and some have done better than others, but we need to encourage all of them. 
Well, just this year alone, um, B'nai B'rith has participated in an uh, uh, important conference on anti-Semitism that was held in Rome. Um, you were at a conference uh, for the OSCE, I believe, in, uh, in Warsaw uh, just a couple of months ago. Um, so as an organization that is present in B'nai B'rith and present in countries where uh, these uh, anti-Semitic uh, acts and attacks have taken place, um, we certainly uh, have a, a great interest in um, moving European countries uh, in, the, in the right direction as well. Eric, I'm sure that uh, this is a discussion that uh, will continue um, because uh, uh, as we come out of the, the period where this terrible attack took place, um, there will be, I'm sure, a number of different initiatives that will come forth. At least we hope that there will be these initiatives uh, to move us to a better place in terms of being able to, to combat and to push back um, what uh, the kind of hatred uh, that we saw exhibited uh, just a few days ago in Pittsburgh. So thank you for being with us today. And thanks, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Please visit our website, benebrith.org, like our Facebook page, and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend about us. For my guest, Eric Fussfield, I'm Dan Mary Ashen. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. <laughs>